Well, again, uh, it's good to, to be with you this morning and to open God's Word together. Um, I've shared with you before, uh, our son Alexander uh, just finished law school, and he was actually supposed to have a graduation ceremony uh, yesterday, um, and uh, obviously uh, no ceremonies. And so we asked him, you know, what else would you like? Instead of a party and a dinner for graduation and everything, what else would you like during this time? And he said he'd love to go up to Wintergreen in the Blue Ridge Mountains and just get some fresh air and play a couple of rounds of golf. And so he and I went up uh, earlier this week and we played golf safely. By the way, the way I play golf, I'm never near any human beings anyway, the way I hit the ball. Uh, Alex did win what we are called, you know, he did win. Uh, the two rounds, and uh, so anyway, maybe next time I'll be able to beat him. But we love wintergreen, and we love going up to the mountains. And one of the things that I'm always fascinated by when I go out and, and walk around in the morning is I look for various tracks of various animals. And so you can see traces. You can see sometimes bear tracks, uh, and they're pretty big, and it's pretty obvious there. You can also see uh, little deer tracks, and I always enjoy uh, looking at them, you can also see a lot of deer just anyway. And one of the most rare tracks at Wintergreen is the track of the bobcat. And you can see uh, traces where bobcats have been. Well, this is not the Discovery Channel, in case you're wondering where you've tuned in this morning. But I do think sometimes the work of God can be the same way. There are times when I look back on my life and I can see the traces of God at work. I can see the activity, the results, the, the imprint of God at work, even though I can't literally see God myself. Let me give you just an example, two examples of how I see the traces of God at work, even in this time and preparing Old Town Community Church for this season that we're in right now. There's two dates I wanna lift up before you. One is January 27th, 2020. The other is June 25th, 2019. The January date uh, is, I hope, I hope some of you remember it as well, but it's the date that we changed our name as a church to better reflect our historic and ongoing commitment to our community. We, we changed our name so that we would be able to share with all who would come in contact with us how much we love our community and how much we want to see our community blessed, that our community uh, just also honoring God and our community uh, experiencing the love of Jesus. You know, this is one of the reasons why we took out the pews in the church. It's not only so that we could sit safely when we come back, uh, but also so that we could offer up our largest room and our room that is the safest room to get into uh, for the community to use in whatever way, whether it's through food, food distribution or uh, testing uh, for the virus or blood drives. We want to be able to say, hey, community, here we are. How can we best serve? So that's the, that's the January 27th, 2020 date. And I can see God's hand uh, at work uh, now, as, as we think back, the other date is uh, June 25th, 2019. Uh, I mentioned before, every year I go up to the mountains, to Wintergreen usually, and I plan sermons for about a year in advance. And I remember this week, uh, last year, and this day, this June 25th date, because I was beginning to sort of close in on the summer, and that is the date that I planned this sermon and that God gave me this text 
for today. Now, we are preaching through the lectionary, and the lectionary gives you about six different choices of text for each week. And the Lord led me to this one. The Lord led me. God knew that we as God's people would need to hear from this text this morning what God has to say to us. So why? It's because this text gives us a blueprint. It gives us a blueprint of what it means to represent God and to share our faith in the world right around us. I mean, think about this. What it means to represent God. I mean, we live in a town that is crawling with representatives of someone or some cause. We've all seen ambassadors. They represent foreign countries and the governments of foreign countries. We've seen lobbyists who represent a certain cause or a certain trade association. We've seen elected officials and their various staffs who represent their constituents from all over uh, the country. Well, one of the great responsibilities that we have, it just, it gets you up in the morning, but one of the great responsibilities we have as a Christian is to represent God. It's to represent Jesus, our Savior, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, to represent him in the world around us. One of the most cherished and memorized passages from the New Testament is 1 Corinthians 5.17. And it reads, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he and all that she is a new creation. The old has gone and the new is here. That's a great verse. It's a great verse about the new life that we have in Jesus. But wait, there's more. It continues on and says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And get this, and gave us, gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him. Isn't that so cool? But wait, it gets better. And he is committed to who? Say it with me, to us, the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And Paul continues on, he says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Whoa. Isn't that a great passage? Doesn't that just sort of get you up in the morning? Doesn't that just super just charge the coffee that you just had to realize that you are an ambassador of the great king? You are God's representative and that God is making his appeal for reconciliation in the world through you. So let me uh, just, I want to spend some time unpacking the text that we heard earlier. But before we do that, I want you to get out the, the pen and paper that Pastor Brian uh, asked you to earlier. And I want you to just do something. We've all probably done this in elementary school, but I want you to take your, your pen and paper. I want you to put your hand on the paper, leave some room at the top, and just trace your handprint. Just trace it there just like I'm doing. I don't know if you can see that from the camera angle, but anyway, just trace your hand on the paper there, okay? And... There we go. So uh, that's my, my handprint. Uh, you can see there. And then what I want you to do is I want you to title this paper, this picture, The Hand of God. Okay? So this is no longer your hand. Uh, this paper represents the hand of God. And we're going to look at ways that we can experience 
the hand of God in our life as it relates to this passage. Okay, just take the handprint and set it aside. We'll get back to it in just a moment. Here's what I want to do with this passage this morning from Acts chapter 17. In this passage, we can see both the mind and the heart of St. Paul, the representative of God, just like us. We can see his mind and heart at work. Now, uh, this is an incredible philosophical discourse, philosophical theological discourse. We're not going to focus on the nuances of the philosophy right now. But what I want to focus on is his heart. And here's what I want us to see. I want us to see the heart of God's representative. I want us to see the humility of God's rep in the world. And I want us to see the hope of God's rep. And just remember, hold this in mind, that God is going to use you to make his appeal in the world around you. Let's first take a look at the heart of the rep. Paul goes into Athens, that ancient city that was the center of Greek philosophy and culture. And when he arrives, he does something incredible. He goes to three different places. He goes to the Jewish synagogue and he reasons there with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks. He then goes out into the marketplace, which is really, he talks to anyone who just happened to be there. That's why I titled this message, by the way, Zooming, because we're all Zooming now off the market. We're using Zoom to connect with people in the work. Uh, we're using Zoom to connect with people in our families, and in our neighborhoods. And basically the marketplace in this context simply represents anywhere and everywhere uh, that you are uh, on mission for God in your neighborhood, where you live, work, where you play. Uh, he also goes to this place called the Areopagus, which is where the philosophers would gather and they would debate and they would talk about various philosophical ideas. We could almost call this, in a sense, the academy. Basically, what we see here is what Luke, who wrote Acts, could have written, is Paul basically went and he shared the gospel with anyone who would listen. Now, can you just let that reality inspire you for a moment? That Paul went and he shared the gospel with anyone who would listen. That just lets us know how big Paul's heart was for the gospel and how much he wanted people to be reconciled to God and to be saved. You know, it's interesting, a few years ago, a few of us went to Lisbon, Portugal on a mission trip. And it was interesting, now that looking back on it, what our missionaries had us do. They had us go to a church and we shared the gospel with the church. Then they had us go into the marketplace and we invited anyone who would come listen uh, in a food court of a mall. First of all, we said, hey, would you like to come and just talk with uh, us? And, and practice your English, which people in, in other countries like to do. And even through that conversation, I remember well sitting uh, at a food court with, with Bill Hook, and, and we were just talking to this guy about the Lord. And we were talking to this guy about what it means to be a Christian. And then really interesting, we also went into the home of one of the missionaries where they had started a ministry among college students, where they had gathered college students. And now as I look back, they were following the strategy of St. Paul here, uh, going uh, into churches and, and teaching the Word of God in churches, going into the marketplace wherever anyone would listen, and going also to the academy. You see, the heart of God's rep is big. It is global. It is inclusive 
It reaches out to everyone because the gospel of Jesus is big and it's global and it's inclusive. What did did John write? For God so loved, say it with me, for God so loved the world. When you're Zooming for work or when you're walking in the neighborhood, open up your heart. Let your heart just get really big for people who don't know Jesus. And whenever you look at someone, just say, you know what, that is somebody for whom Jesus died. The heart of God's rep is big. It is also passionate. Verse 16 says that Paul was greatly distressed when he saw the city full of idols. See, the Greeks had, had temples and statues and idols built to all kinds of gods. This reminds us that deep in the human heart, deep within every human heart is this pull and this desire to worship. This is how God made us. And Paul sees all these idols and he sees all these temples and he is distressed. Now, that word in English, distress, doesn't really describe what Paul was feeling. The Greek word here is transliterated as parox uno. Parox uno, really hard uh, for me to say. But this is Greek basically for ticked off. This is Greek for basically smoking mad. I mean, it means to provoke or to make angry. You know, lots of folks in our world are going no on people right now because stress levels are really high. Now, is this what the Bible is saying? Is this how God's reps should be in the world? That we should be out sharing the love of Christ like really angry and really mad? Kind of reminds me of a guy guy I once saw outside of a Nats game. He sort of looked like Tom Hanks sort of late in the movie of Castaway. And he was just standing there screaming at everybody as we're going into the stadium that we're all going to hell if we don't repent. And what I wanted to say to him is, buddy, I've already repented and and my ticket says I'm going into the Nats game. But I'm not making light. But he was just so angry. He was so angry. Is that how we should be? No. No. Paul was fired up for two reasons here. Paul was filled with a righteous sense of anger for two reasons. One is holiness. The other is love. One is holiness and the other is love. Holiness in that he knew that the idols offended God. Paul's heart was filled with with love for God. And as he saw people worshiping and idols, as he saw people just making all these kind of tributes to uh, other little G gods, it broke his heart. Because he knows that our God and our God alone is worthy of worship. Misplaced worship breaks and it also provokes the heart of God. Love in that Paul knew that the people of Athens were missing They were missing the very purpose for which they were created. We were created to enjoy and to honor God. And when we do, it makes God smile. It brings God great joy. And Paul knew that the consequences of unbelief in this world leads to eternal separation from God and not being reconciled to him. And so we see Paul had this sense of of righteous anger. It was out of a holiness and an incredible love for God, but also a love for people who are not living in the way that God wants them to live because it is best 
for them. You know, one scholar I read this week said, Paul would probably feel the very same way today if he walked into our community. Now, we don't have temples and we don't have statues, but we have other things and other people that we allow to have first place and that we allow to define us and try to give us our sense of self-worth. And anytime we elevate someone or something else to the place that God is supposed to be, anytime we give our worship that belongs to God to someone or something else, it is not good for us. You know, I've heard commentators say that COVID-19 will bring out the strength and the weaknesses of people. It will also, in my opinion, surface those idols in people. It will surface and bring to bear that which people idolize. And it will cause people to become undone, incredibly stressed if they lose them, if they lose the sense. And so what we want to do as a church on mission is we want to say, hey, this is the wrong thing to idolize. This is the wrong thing or person to elevate in your life. This is going to cause you to become undone, if you will. Let us tell you about this amazing and wonderful and good God. I also believe that this is a time like no other in our generation where people are going to be open to hearing about the God who loves them. People will be open to hearing about the God that a pandemic can't take away. People will be open to hearing about a God who will give them hope and a new life. So we see the heart of God's representative being really big in the world. It is for everyone and it is an intense and a passionate love. It is filled with holiness and love for God and love for others. So let me ask you now to go back to your handprint. Take the hand of God that you drew and I want you just to imagine, visualize God's hand, God's hand on your life when it comes to sharing the gospel with others. And let me ask you a gentle and a sensitive question. God's hand on your life, let's even drill down a little bit, God's hand on your heart. Does God need to do any heart surgery in you today? Do you need to ask God to give you a bigger heart and a deeper passion for the gospel and for those who don't know Christ do you need to ask God to align your heart with his heart today? If so, take 10 seconds, just 10 seconds right now, and just write on your paper, God, align my heart with your heart. God, align my heart with your heart. Now, I just want you to set that aside again. Although Paul was incredibly, distressed, ticked off, smoking mad, however you want to say it. He was restrained. That's what's interesting. He was restrained in his appeal, which leads us to the second aspect of God's representative, and that's the humility. The humility of God's rep. St. Paul was absolutely brilliant. There are not many people in the history of the faith who could come into a town, think about this, and present the gospel 
and the rationale for Christianity to so many different audiences. He is the church's first theologian and the author of over half of the New Testament. He has a really solid resume, I think we would all agree. And remember, he is intensely passionate. And as we read throughout uh, Paul's missionary journeys, he was an intense man. Typically, think about this, typically when you combine brilliance and when you combine uh, this just intense passion and you can add in there his eloquence, you usually get someone who is quite arrogant and you get someone who is potentially condescending to others. Now, perhaps another type of person with his brilliance and passion would have walked into the Areopagus where all the Greek philosophers were and told those great philosophers he is right and they are wrong and tell them why they are wrong. I mean, after all, they had already insulted him and called him a babbler. Now, he eventually showed them a better way. But he didn't do this at first. So how do we know that Paul had humility as he engaged these Greek philosophers? Because he took the time. He took the time to learn about their point of view. And he took the time to learn about their philosophy so that he could better understand how they thought. And see, he could understand what made them tick. He met them where they were and then presented the gospel to them. He entered their world. And rather than quoting scripture like he did in the synagogue, he quoted their philosophers. He quoted one of their own poets. He spoke to a need that they had to set up temples. And he spoke to the need that they wanted to worship every God. Even they built an idol to an unknown God. You know, it's interesting. I was in a, uh, a a forum with uh, pastors in Virginia and Bill Hook, our very own Bill Hook was our guest. And he was sharing with uh, the forum there, uh, one of the, the high, the effective habits of Stephen Covey uh, that he wrote uh, some years ago. And one of those habits is to seek first to understand before being understood. Seek first to understand before you try to be understood by others. In other words, put yourself in someone else's shoes. If you have someone in your community or your family or in your workplace that you're Zooming with all the time that's not a Christian, and I bet we all do, right? Get inside their life. Get inside their point of view for a moment and simply try to understand what makes them the way they are. It's interesting. Uh, St. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. Oh my, what, what an incredible humility. We live in a culture in which this type of humility is needed. And I think you would agree. Our culture seems to be filled with people who live by the opposite of Covey's lesson. They seek first to be understood and then they really don't care about understanding the other person. And what we have to be reminded of as Christians is that when we act this way, we're being perceived as, as pushing our agendas and we, we're perceived that we don't actually seem to care about the other person. We just simply care about the success of what we're doing. 
Just as Jesus humbled himself and entered our world so that we might be saved, so we too must humble ourselves as his reps in the world so that others might be saved. And one powerful thing to notice here is that Paul set aside his cultural distinctions and distinctives so that he could bring the gospel into their culture. You know, if we're not careful as Christians, we may focus on winning people over to our preferred culture rather than sharing the beauty and the purity and the essence of the gospel of Jesus. I've told you before, I grew up in a Bible Belt culture that added a lot of things to salvation than just Jesus. Oh, they didn't say it that way. But if you were going to be a good Christian, then you needed to cut your hair and wear your hair a certain way. You needed to dress a certain way at church and so forth and so forth. But we know the gospel is Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing. Or some people really thrive in a political culture and they say, believe in Jesus plus vote for this party or vote for that party. But we know the gospel says Jesus plus nothing. Or we hear people all the time say, you know, I want to be part of a trendy culture or a traditionalist culture. And if we believe in Jesus, then we'll embrace these trends or we'll embrace these traditions. But really, it's Jesus plus nothing. And we, as the Christian church, we need to be careful that we're not trying to, to win people to certain cultural distinctives, that we should simply share the gospel. It's interesting to me that Paul tells the philosophers that God doesn't live in temples made of human hands. And God is not like an image made of gold, silver, or stone. We know that God is too big for pagan idols and pagan rituals. In the same way, God is too big for our cultural biases and preferences. A Bible Belt culture, a political culture, or a trendy traditionalist culture can be idols made by human hands and not by the spirit of the living God. These cultural trappings can be as lifeless as any rock on a hill. In Athens, a humble rep of God says, look, I want to present the gospel in your culture. I want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to you. I'm going to let God work the culture thing out. I'm going to lift up the name of Jesus. So another handprint exercise for a moment. Take out the hand of God again. And being humble means that there's part of our lives that we need to surrender. In other words, there's often things that we hang on to or things that we elevate in our lives that keep us from humbly entering into a dialogue with others so that we can share the gospel of Jesus. Maybe there are choices and, and attitudes that we might have that hinder us from representing God well. Uh, maybe what we hang on to rather than surrender is our sense of, of comfort zone. Or maybe something we hang on to are some of the cultural extras rather than simply purely sharing the gospel with others. And so what I want you to do is I want you to write on your hand, uh, the, the handprint, God, I surrender blank. In other words, you fill in the blank. God, I surrender this to you so that I may share Jesus with others. What is that you need to surrender? What is keeping you from sharing Christ with others? Fear, arrogance, biases, lack of courage, whatever it is for you, God, I surrender this to you. Well, 
maybe some of you might have to think about that as well and write that in later, but uh, that's an important part of what it means to be a representative of God. Well, let's take a look at our final area, and that is the hope of God's representative. Paul concludes his dialogue by calling the philosophers to repentance, but then he also points them to the resurrection. So what he's essentially saying, he's saying the whole of human history, including the day when Jesus will judge the world, is validated by the fact that God raised him from the dead. He calls them away from their old thinking to be sure. And he calls them into the new life of Jesus. He calls them to hope. God's representatives in the world will call people away from an old life and an old belief system and we will call people to a new hope and a new life in Christ. We'll call people to be reconciled to God. We'll share with them that beautiful truth that Jesus became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God, so that we might be reconciled with God. So here's what's interesting. Paul goes into Athens, he goes to the synagogues, he goes out to the marketplace, he goes to the Areopagus, the academy, and talks with the philosophers. Here's what's interesting, is Christianity prevailed. Christianity prevailed over all of these Greek philosophies. Now why? Well, certainly Paul's reasoning, Paul's reasoning and his arguments for Christianity, making the case for Christ to be sure, but also, Christianity proclaimed a hope, and it proclaimed a God big enough to satisfy the hopes and the needs of the human heart. I heard Tim Keller talk about this very idea, and he said that really what drew people back then to the, to the cause of Christ was the way that Christians handled suffering. That Christians, in a time of suffering, we don't deny that suffering exists, we realize it exists, and by the way, we see suffering all over our world now. We're in a time of great pain and suffering. We don't deny that suffering, but we also, we also don't run from that suffering. We don't just look away and say, hey, I don't want to be bothered by it. What do we do? We serve through and in times of suffering, just like Jesus did. Just like Jesus did on the cross. Jesus ran right to the cross he suffered for our sakes. He didn't avoid it, and yet he also didn't deny it. As he hung on the cross in agony, he cried out, I thirst. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he did all of this for our sake. He did all of this to give us new life and new hope. Wow. The hope of the representative of God in the world as we share Jesus with the world. This hope that we have in Christ is big enough. It is big enough to satisfy the deepest longings of the human heart. Nothing else, nothing else will satisfy. And our hearts so greatly desire this kind of hope. So. Our last little handprint exercise, and I hope you've enjoyed uh, interacting with us this morning. Our last handprint exercise is simply this. Take out the hand of God. How do you need to see God working in your life 
as it relates to a specific person. In other words, there's somebody in your life right now today who needs to hear about the hope of Jesus, the hope that comes when we turn to him, when we give our lives to him, the hope that not only is for eternity, but the hope that is for now, the hope that is for now right in the midst of this incredible season that we're in. God, no doubt, has laid somebody on your heart today. Will you write down their name? I know God has laid somebody on my heart, and I'm going to write down this person's name. Write that name down on the hand of God and ask God's hand to work in your life so that you may share his love with that person. So on your hand, print, God's handprint, you should have the following. You should have a prayer asking God to align your heart with his heart when it comes to sharing faith with those who don't know him. That should be all of our prayers. Lord, align my heart with yours. You should have something in your life that you need to surrender to God that is hindering you that is keeping you from being the representative that God wants you to be in the world. And only you and God knows what that is. And you should have on this handprint, you should have the name of someone that you know and that you care about who needs to have the hope of Jesus. My prayer for you is that you will take seriously and joyfully what it means to be God's representative in the marketplace where you live, where you work, and where you play. Yes, it might be by Zoom right now, but God is wise. God can use Zoom, right? My prayer is that you will take seriously what it means to be God's rep and that God will work in your heart to share his love with that person that you wrote down. God bless you. I'm so excited about this series of what it means to live for Jesus at home. That includes representing our incredible God in the world around us. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for the way that you come to us, the way that you touch us, the way that you heal our hearts. And Lord, um, it, is, it is an amazing thought to think that you have entrusted us with this incredible message. You, Lord, you could, have, you could have worked out mission in so many different ways, but you decided to use us. You decided that you wanted us to be your representatives, your ambassadors, that you were going to use us to make your appeal to the world. And so, Lord, I don't know what it is like for each person listening, what might be hindering them from making this appeal to the world. What might be hindering them from being your representative? I know what it is in my life. And so, Lord, whatever it is that we have written down that we need to release into your hands, we pray that you would take them. We pray that we would surrender them. Lord, we pray that we would align our hearts with your hearts so that we would see the world the way you see the world with incredible love. And Lord, I just want to lift up the name of every person written on each handprint this morning. I lift up these names to you. 
And Lord, I pray for your spirit to work. I pray for these people to come into a saving knowledge of your son, Jesus. It is in his name that we ask and that we pray. And it is because of him that we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. Look forward to visiting with you again next week as we continue this series at home. God bless and have a great week.